Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Good morning. I'm Pastor Phil Moran, a pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Boise, Idaho, and you're listening to The Gospel for Life. And I'm here in the studio with Russ Herman, uh, pastor of uh, Cloverdale United Reformed Church, and uh, we are here, just the two of us in the studio this morning, because our two uh, usual, uh, uh, the other two that make up our usual foursome are, are out today. Um, uh, Jonathan, uh, unable to uh, be with us today, and, and uh, uh, Josh uh, away on vacation. So you get just the two of us today, and we're talking about books that we've read that have influenced us. And the, the reason we're doing this is that we're hoping that you, the listener, will uh, have your imagination kindled and go out and pick up some good Christian literature or uh, over and over, over them, order them over Amazon or ChristianBook.com or however you get uh, your books and get some uh, good, solid uh, Christian books in your library. Theology is way too important to leave it to the professionals. Every believer is a theologian. And so uh, we're recommending these books uh, in hopes that uh, uh, you might go out and pick one up and and read it this summer. Uh, I want to begin today uh, by, uh, on our show yesterday, we began talking about uh, a book called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. And uh, this is one that's been on my list for a long time of, of books that had a big influence. This is a book that had a big influence on C.S. Lewis. Uh, it was Chesterton was instrumental in Lewis becoming a, a Christian, and uh, he was uh, uh, Chesterton was an Englishman. He wrote uh, in the early twentieth century. I think he died about nineteen thirty six, if I if I recall. And uh, his book, Orthodoxy, is, is one of his most well-known and uh, very influential book. Uh, as Russ was pointing out on our show yesterday, you, you read Christian authors and you'll hear, uh, you'll read Chesterton quoted over and over and over again. And one of the things that he did, uh, and let me just give you an example of what, what to me is so intriguing and, and uh, fascinating about his writing uh, and has... has influenced and shaped my faith. Uh, one of the things he does in orthodoxy, he challenges the doctrine of naturalism. Naturalism is the idea that nature just happens. It doesn't need any supernatural force behind it. Uh, flowers grow because uh, there's a genetic code hidden in a seed, and we don't need God to explain why flowers grow. Uh, we don't need God. To, naturalism says we don't need God to explain why the sun comes up every day. That, that happens because the earth spins on its axis and, and uh, gravitational forces are at work in, in the rotation of the earth. And so we get the illusion of watching the sun come up every day. And naturalism says that because these things happen over and over again and they're repetitive and they're predictable, uh, let's go back to our flower, that uh, 
naturalism says that because these things are predictable and uh, repetitive, you don't need any supernatural. There's no God needed to explain why flowers come up and why flowers, why, why, da- why are daisies all the same? Uh, they're all the same, uh, naturalism says, because of a genetic code hidden in the seed and in the cells of the plant. And there's no, no God is necessary. And Chesterton asked a simple question. He said, how do you know that God doesn't like repetition? Maybe, he said, he goes on, God delights in repetition. And then he gives a wonderful illustration. Uh, think about playing peekaboo with a toddler which just about every adult has done at one time or another. Uh, a toddler loves the game of peekaboo. And I and Chesterton says, I guarantee you, and I'll, I'll, I'll vouch for it also, I guarantee you that the adult will grow bored of peekaboo long before the child grows bored of peekaboo. <laughs> Why? Because adults are jaded and we need constant entertainment. We're jaded by our sin. We're worn down by life. We don't have the innocence of a child. And so peekaboo bores us very quickly. And then Chesterton pushes his point even further. He says, what if God, because he's sinless, is infinitely youthful? Hmm. And then he says, and I'm quoting here as directly as I can, he says, our father, talking about God, our father is without sin and has not grown old as we do. He's, God loves repetition. What if every daisy that comes up, it's because God said, do it again. Do it again. Anyway, it's just, it's just fascinating little images like that that, that make me love G.K. Chesterton and his book, Orthodoxy. I recommend you pick it up. Russ, do you have a... I, um, for somebody that I think is so accessible, so practical, so profound in their simplicity is Jerry Bridges. And I, I was trying to pick one of the books, but these are the Jerry Bridges books I've, I've read, um, gospel for real life, transforming grace, practice of godliness, pursuit of holiness, joy of fearing God, trusting God, true community, respectable sins, um, the bookends of the Christian life. And as I was trying to say, okay, which one of those would make my top 10? I mean, it was like trying to choose one of my, my kids of which out of my five is the, is my favorite. Um, different ones were important for different things. But if I was forced, absolutely forced to pick two, um, I would say these two. The Gospel for Real Life um, was Bridges, I think, a little bit later in life, um, showing us how to apply the gospel um, to everyday aspects of our life. Um, he was one that would talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves and how do you do that? Um, and then the other one was joy of fearing God. And he was, he was demonstrating, we look at fear of God as a negative thing. And he's saying, no, in in scripture, joy and fear of God were always kind of combined, were intermingled. And he was showing us in that book, who is God and how is it that that God produces these feelings and sentiments of joy and true biblical fear, yes. um, awe, respect. Yes. Um, and it was, it's a, I thought it was just a wonderful help in restoring 
the magnity or magnitude and majesty of God to the to a believer in a very practical practical and accessible way. So if you've never read Jerry Bridges, I would highly recommend it in the fact that you'll walk away going, that was really a a book where he just said simple things, but in such profound ways that always left me going, that shouldn't have been such a big deal, but wow, it was a big deal for me. Wow. Okay. On your recommendation, I'm going to read more Jerry Bridges. I've I've got to confess, Russ, in in my entire life, I've only, I've only read one Jerry Bridges book. Which one was that? uh, The Pursuit of Holiness. Okay. Uh, And that would actually be on a little bit of the bottom scale of, of my Jerry Bridges books. uh, Okay. Really? Okay. Well, on your recommendation. The one I didn't like as much as the others was True Community. I, I, for some reason, I didn't resonate with that book as much as I have some of the others, but the others I really did enjoy immensely. Now, I'm going to say a book that I know Phil is going to be unhappy with me because he said that we didn't have any deep theological treatises on our our list because this is the gospel for real life. But this was a, a very substantial book for me, and so it is on my list. And I'm just going to preface it with my apologies to Phil. Yeah, and that that's okay. But do, you know, do recognize you are you you are unusual, Russ. Yeah, well, that that is that, <laughs> unusual. Being kind, um, it's Herman Bovink's Reform Dogmatics, and Phil is laughing at me. But it was I I was I'm a math major, um, and I guess I just appreciate Herman Bovink's logical um, mind, um, but there's a undertone of pastoral warmth to what he writes, but he, he still writes in a very clear, logical, methodical way yeah. without being dry, without being calloused. Um, and I, I think that's an art to be able to do that. And so I have thoroughly benefited from Bovink's clear insights. It is a four-volume set, and I would recommend that highly for those that do a lot of teaching, preaching, um, but they did make it into a one-volume, abridged um, copy, and I would recommend that to just anybody else because it's a practical if you have questions about different aspects of theology, I would trust Herman Bovink, um, and I think you'll benefit even devotionally um, from what he has to say. Yeah, okay. Well, after hearing you, you give that defense. I stand corrected then, Russ, uh, because um, as, as I was saying uh, earlier, I don't rem- maybe I said it in yesterday's show, the theology is way too important to be left to the professionals. Um, and, and it very seriously— um, that's a great Bavink is a great place to start um, if if you want to go deeper in in Christian doctrine and and theology and and it, it is not dry it's it's not an easy read uh, by by any means uh, it, it'll, it'll challenge you but in a really good way so let me I'll add my amen and Phil did mention that everyone's a theologian and that actually would be a better place to start for a book a book by R.C. Sproul called everyone's a theologian. Yes, yes, good. And that that is also solid, um, reformed um, teaching. 
Um, it's just solid biblical instruction on theology that's extremely accessible because that was the whole point of the book to say, mm-hmm. you know what, whether you admit it or not, everyone has a theology. Everybody should know. Right. Um, cause it's just really theology is just a study of God. Everybody has an, uh, a view of who God is and what God has done. Right. And let me just throw, <clears throat> pardon me. Let me just throw in an advertisement there for, for the necessity of theological reflection and the, the need, uh, every, every, <clears throat> every church needs, uh, both leaders and, uh, People within the church don't. It is too important to leave it to the pastor. Um, as th- that that title of that book um, that uh, Russ just mentioned, uh, the R.C. Sproul. Every, every what is it? Everybody's a theologian. Everyone's Every, a theologian. Everyone is a theologian. Um, you'll sometimes hear a sentiment and put different ways, but the sentiment is this: I don't need theology. I just have the Bible. Or the Bible alone is our theology, and some Christian traditions will will say that. And I don't, I don't mean to be too critical when when those when people say the Bible alone is my theology. Um, my response to that is, I you may you may really think that, and you may really believe that. I don't believe it. Everybody has a theology that they bring to the Bible. Everybody has theological assumptions that they bring when they open up the Bible. Um, and it's best to n- know what they are and to be aware of what they are. Uh, when, if, if, when people say, well, the Bible alone is my theology, I, w- I want to say as politely as possible, well, maybe this isn't real polite, bunk. <laughs> well, take this from a different standpoint. I was a history teacher for 15 years. I read different history textbooks each author brought their own perspective uh, to, the, to the study of and the writing of history. Sure. And so it comes out in that history, just like our own theology that we bring to the Bible comes out in our interpretations. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we are now out of time, but we will see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and we will continue into the upper levels of our book list tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you.